Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always by David Simone during the football season. No guests this week as the Cincinnati Bearcats prepare to take on the Ohio University Bobcats on Saturday at noon. So we'll handle things. I think we're uh, I think we're capable. Dave is well versed on the Bobcats. He's been doing his homework. Big time. Big time well versed. So we'll uh, we'll recap Alabama A and M just a little bit. We'll talk about the uh, the game on Saturday with Ohio U. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, the American Athletic Conference uh, perception perceptions on some teams changing, uh, where we're at uh, as the the Bearcats are set to finish up with their final out of conference game for the season and begin conference play next week. Remember, conference play next week. Opens at UConn, 3.30 kickoff, perfect time for you to join Bearcat Journal for our watch party at Taft's Brewporium, not Taft's Ale House, that's downtown. There's two locations, Taft's Ale House is in over the Rhine, Taft's Brewporium is up off of 75, uh, get there, 3.30 as the Bearcats take on UConn, it is our first watch party with Taft's Brewporium. So, Dave, let's get uh, let's get rolling on Alabama A and M. Uh, the Bearcats scored touchdowns on their first six possessions, and Alabama A and M did not. <laughs> it was uh, it, when you play those one double A teams. What you want to see is your team dominate, and that's what we saw. Cincinnati dominated Alabama A and M from start to finish. Yeah, that was. I think that was even more than than we probably could expect. Uh, they had a UC was up twenty eight nothing at the end of the first quarter, had uh, just over three hundred yards of offense in quarter number one. Uh, the offense definitely came out. All systems go, if you will. Uh, Definitely came out looking to throw the ball, which is something that we had hoped to see. We we had a pretty good idea that they would be able to run the ball against Alabama A&M, but it was nice to see them throw the ball. Uh, a lot of different formations, a lot of different uh, personnel groupings. Desmond Renner was 9 for 10, which uh, almost 200 yards. Couldn't that's really that's get good, by the way. That. That's good, by the way. Yeah. It was nice to see, you know, Obviously, the opponent has something to do with it, but it was just nice to see the when the twos came in, there really wasn't much of a drop-off. And even, you know, when Ben Bryant, Jake Sopko got some snaps, you know, it wasn't like all everything went to hell. You know, they, there weren't a bunch of penalties. There weren't a bunch of turnovers. It was, you know, it was a pretty pretty clean game all the way through. With Ritter, I, I think you know the, the numbers are impressive. I think two throws really uh, stood out to me: the the touchdown to uh, Thomas Geddes early, um, and then the touchdown pass to Josiah Deguara. He threw that thing on a rope, and it, it was a, a excellent timing route. As Deguara wasn't even out of his break when Ritter let the ball go. Um, I think those two throws more than anything uh, gave you some comfort. And then uh, the incompletion; he should have been ten for ten. Geddes makes an impossible catch in the end zone and then drops one right at him uh, in the second quarter. Yeah. And I think the touchdown throw to Geddes, 
was encouraging because he was covered and he still trusted him where I felt there were, there were several times in fall camp at higher ground that we would watch him throw where he was, he just wouldn't rip it. Like there'd be a little hesitation, uh, you know, maybe a little double clutch and the guy was open when he, he saw him open, but he just, wouldn't let it go. And it was nice to see him trust his receiver and, and just put it out there and say, my guy is going to win this battle. I know he's probably covered, but this is the right read. This is the right place to go with the ball. So it was good to see him, you know, no hesitation, just let it go and, and see what happens. Another thing I've been really impressed with Des. He seems to have really good command of that huddle and of that offense. I, I, those guys, they respond to him. Uh, you can see him constantly walking up and down the, you know, the offensive portion of the the sideline, high fiving guys, giving guys encouragement, talking to guys of something, you know, went a little bit awry, you know, correcting guys on what he's seeing and what they're seeing. Uh, for a redshirt freshman, guys can be timid in that situation. I haven't seen Desmond Ritter uh, really be timid at all since the start of the season. You know, we saw it a little bit in in camp where he felt like he was still kind of feeling his way around things. Now that that's his job, it feels like he's owned it. Yeah, definitely it seems to be the case. I mean, that, that, I mean, you know, the UCLA game, going out there, getting down 10 nothing, and just coming right in second quarter, 17 points. The Miami game with the conditions, there, you know, there weren't a lot of, you know, mistakes. Fumbles, you know, guys were in and out of the huddle, uh, you know, no delay games. It doesn't seem like they've had to call timeouts because, you know, either he didn't know what was going on or the, the rest of the team wasn't sure. So, you know, all things considered with, you know, a brand-new starting quarterback in his first-ever game action, he's had a, a really nice command of the operation and, and everything that goes into it. And if- Luke Fickle mentioned this. I'm not sure if it was after the game on Saturday or if it was at the the luncheon on Tuesday. Des is a kid that does not lack for uh, self-confidence. I think that's important. I mean, he's not a kid that's questioning himself. Am I good enough for this job? Am I, you know, am I going to be able to live up to these expectations? He, I think he kind of felt like I'm coming in to win this job. And, and once he got control of it, um, he he took it and, and has taken off running with it. Um, Hayden Moore had a good game, but but you mentioned Ben Bryant. I don't want to skip over Hayden Moore. I, th- I thought he played well. He did you know, what you would expect of a, a fifth-year senior in that situation to do. He came in. He was 6 of 7, uh, ran the offense really well. Um, but Ben Bryant, I think there were a couple throws with Ben Bryant where you see why there's a lot of excitement around him in the program. His arm is just – super talented and we saw that on the day he camped um uh back when he was in high school he he had a sprained thumb and was just slinging the ball with with incredible accuracy everywhere and fickle talked about um after the game that they told some guys that they were done for the day and when they heard ben was going into the third quarter there was a few wide receivers that are like nah i want to want to get some some run in with ben 
which makes you feel yeah. like, you know, you're very confident in Desmond Ritter, and that confidence is growing. And the next four years, the guy behind him, there's a lot to like there as well. Well, I think the the part that I liked the most about just how they handled the game in general was that they didn't put these young guys in and then just hand the ball off because they were up so much, where to me that makes no sense. Like, why put Ben into the game and then just have him hand off? Like, he's not going to learn anything from that, and you're not going to learn anything about him doing that. So, and granted, the score was out of hand. You don't want to make it seem like you're running up the score, but if you're going to put guys in that have earned playing time, it's not fair to them to then just vanilla it down all the way to where it doesn't do them any it does them a disservice to be playing because they're not really getting any better they're not doing anything that they would do in a normal situation so again i mean he he took a sack there was a free runner right up the middle he not much he could have done there he had an interception ball was maybe a bit high but you know you would think that maybe it should uh, have been caught well huber could have caught that one but I mean, again, he made some, some good throws, and you know, there were a couple of those opposite hash out routes that I'm not a fan of that you know, maybe you don't get away with against a different team, but he was accurate with it. It was All of his throws, for the most part, were on his receivers. It was definitely uh, an encouraging debut from, from Ben Bryant. No surprise, his favorite target was Jayshon Jackson. The two of them played seven-on-seven seven together. Yeah. Uh, Four straight plays. Yeah, uh, I, I'm guessing. Or was that, was that Hayden? Was that Hayden? I think one of them. One of the two. Jay Sean had four straight catches. He, um, Jay Sean, leading receiver on the day uh, in terms of catches. Um, he's starting to come out of his shell a little bit. I think the more and more we go forward, you're, you know, Josiah Jaguara has established himself as kind of the security blanket for Desmond Ritter. Uh, I think on you know on third downs and and when they need a play, I think you're going to see some more of those balls going Jayshon Jackson's way. That kid is electric. He's definitely shown to be uh, reliable so far, and the 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 games, regardless of who they're playing or where they're playing, don't don't seem to be too big for him. So, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be getting any less time you know as the right. season rolls on that's for sure um running back we saw what we wanted from mike warren he ran it six times for 80 yards <laughs> he had a couple catches yeah. he basically had a hundred yard day like in a quarter he, of action his his long run i think was 33 yards that might actually be the biggest hole i've ever seen opened up on a running play it was especially gigantic. because it was right up the middle like yeah. it it was legitimately five yards wide. I put a picture of it on Twitter. It was unbelievable. And you, you could have driven, they joke like you could have driven a truck through that hole. You actually could have driven a truck through the hole that opened up for him. Yeah. It looked I like mean, he was almost surprised. Because you saw him looking around for like guys to like put a move on. And there was nobody around. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's just your, your instinct as a running back. I'm, in, I'm running up the middle. I'm probably going to get a, an arm, a hand, like something. So you don't just go like Mach 100 full speed because you're preparing yourself to 
be able to shed some sort of contact. And then when you realize that, well, there's actually no one within 20 <laughs> yards of me. It ain't coming. So then you can kind of pick it up. Uh, and then very good days from Charles McClellan and Tavion Thomas. Tavion Thomas is just fun. Uh, he's not going to be able to do what he did against high-level programs where he just carries two and three guys down the field for an extra seven, eight yards. But watching that kid, it's hard not to get excited about his potential uh, and, and what he can do, you know, as kind of a power guy running between the tackles uh, that, you know, it's pretty clear that that's, that's something that Luke Fickle is fond of. He fumbled twice. Uh, they recovered both, one in the end zone to Will Huber. The uh, first one wasn't a fumble. Okay. They, I don't know why they didn't review it. When he got flipped onto his head, his arm, his whole forearm was on the ground, and then the ball popped out. Um, so that definitely wasn't. But, yeah, the second one, of course, you know, you see recovers it for a touchdown. But other than that, he was a stud. The touchdown, his first touchdown where he literally carried three guys into the end zone was just fantastic. Well, I think it was number 47 for Alabama A&M. He first made contact at, with Tavion at the eight-yard line. So he basically drug some weight of that guy eight yards before he finally just, you know, too many guys were on him and he fell over in the end zone. And then his one run... I mean, he had like three memorable runs. I loved the one right before the half when they were they were just going to run the ball, but they kept getting like 20 yards at a time where I was thinking, <laughs> okay, maybe were they going to try to score? He, they, the guy is hanging on his arm, and it's the arm with the ball in it, and he just like slings his arm over his shoulder like trying to get the guy off of him like he's a little toddler or something <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was hilarious to me like you usually don't see that with a guy who's carrying the ball like rip it up above his head you know because you're worried about fumbling or whatever but he he clearly didn't did not want to get tackled tackling him is not an easy task <laughs> that that's one thing that we learned Defensively, we saw what we expected to see. Uh, the Alabama A&M was not very good on offense. And Cincinnati, other than one drive on the, the second team, uh, Cincinnati took it to them, and, and they were basically inept on offense the whole night. This defense now uh, is in the top 10 or in the top 12, and basically every defensive category uh, rushing off or defense – uh, rushing defense, passing defense, scoring defense, yards per game, you name it, they are uh, they are way up there right now. Yeah, they are. I mean, I, I try to do a look at that. You know, it's a little, obviously, the beginning of the season. They haven't played great offenses. Most teams, yeah. The beginning of the season for everybody kind of sometimes, you know, for most teams, skews it. I mean, um, so, I mean, I'll look at it again after this week. We'll have a better idea of just, you know, four games in, but I mean, there one stat that did jump out at me that is kind of interesting, especially who they've played is that they're number one in the country in fewest first downs allowed of teams that have played three games. And it's interesting to me just in the sense of, you know, you start blowing out a team like Alabama A&M, they could just get meaningless yards 
and you know against your third stringers where maybe right. they get a 30 yard drive and then have to punt or a 40 yard drive and turn it over so i mean they're they've only given up 34 first downs through 3 games so and then there's a there's a i don't know if it's a new stat or whatever but it's called stop rate and they're number two in the country in stop rate behind Alabama at 90%. And they're only giving up 0.6 points per possession. It's pretty good. And, and granted, a lot of that has to do with who they've played. I mean, the teams they've played have a combined one win, and that's Alabama A&M beating Miles College. Which I've determined is actually just a guy named Miles. It might be his college, and he just finds some dudes to play football. No, I think but, it's just him. Like um, he he play he plays all eleven positions, yeah. both sides of the ball. He you punts, know. he plays kicks. It's just a guy named Miles. You know, <laughs> but when you just you just compare it to last year, because that's all we have to go off of three through three games of the new coaching staff era. Regardless of who they're playing, I mean, last year they played Austin P, Michigan, who, who's demonstrably better than UCLA, and then Miami, Ohio on the road. And it just looks totally different. Yeah. You know, the, the stats are, di- you know, different. Miami actually had 220 yards in the game last year. Austin P had somewhere in the 300s, and Michigan has a little over 400. So they're obviously giving up less yards, but it just looks different, you know. They didn't. They hammered the FCS team this year, where last year it was a struggle. They went on the road and took a punch and came back and won a game where last year they went on the road, took a punch, did kind of come back, got it to within three in the second half, but couldn't make those plays that were there to be made to give themselves a chance to win and then score kind of is a little more inflated against Michigan than what the game was. And then the Miami game last year, they honestly had no business winning. Right. And this year, Miami didn't get any closer than the than the UC 27-yard line at any point in the whole game. Right. So just the it just looks different. It feels different. You know, obviously the better teams they play, they're going to have to button some things up. And teams are going to score. I mean, as much as fans don't want to probably think about, they're going to score. They're going to have sustained drive, you know, we're not, but I just feel way better about, because Houston is going to continue to get better too, hopefully. So, you know, there's, there's still a lot of young guys getting their first real action and, and, you know, you, you get players back or players progress, you know, you know, you just don't know, but it's definitely encouraging, you know, where things are compared to last year and where hopefully they can continue to go while you do still need to kind of take into account that the three teams they've played probably, you know, outside of UConn and East Carolina are probably going to be the three worst teams they play all year. Um, I think we're seeing a star being born in James Wiggins. Uh, do, do you agree? Oh, definitely. I mean, he's, he's definitely, I think, we're seeing it, and he's made a lot of splash plays. But the encouraging thing is, like, when I watch him, I think there's still stuff out there for him to do. I think he can get better in coverage. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think I still don't know how sure he is of of kind of seeing routes and understanding route concepts on his side of the field. So, I mean, I think, and that only comes with time. You're not going to be great at that right away. And, you know, we've, we've talked about some of these guys so much that it almost makes it seem like they've been playing a long time where he still only played three games at safety. Yeah. He's so still got a ways to go. I don't think thing, he's far from a finished product. That That's certain. Well, I think that's kind of just a little bit of something that fans, you know, fans need to kind of pump the brakes on a little bit is like before the season, we're talking like, let's just get six and six, go to a bowl game. And now we got fans going, well, I mean, if they're not eight, no, I could see them being nine and no. And I'm just like, hold on. There's still like a lot of guys that are playing their third game. And we still have a redshirt freshman quarterback who's playing his third game. And, you know, and all the, and all these things that, Yes, I'm super happy that this is what the first three games have looked like, but you know, let's you know, we still have obviously the coaching staff and that's what fans can do. They can look ahead because guess what? That you don't play. Right. So it doesn't matter. I always fan laugh thinks. when fans when fans are like, Oh, we can't look past so and so you can look past whoever you want. You have no no determination on the game whatsoever. But Dave, I wore my Zach Caleros jersey that the last time I wore it, they won six games in a row. Come on, yeah, man. Well, I'm, hey, I, I wear the exact same thing to every football and basketball game because I'm <laughs> crazy superstitious. But I also know that it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Before we get into Ohio University, I want to uh, thank our sponsor, Trace Puntas Coffee. They sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order. Your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans they ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it so that you know your coffee is fresh. Freshly roasted coffee tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that has been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All of the coffee you find in your grocery and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Puntas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to you. They use only 100% Arabica beans, it's premium gourmet quality coffee sourced from a single family farm in Brazil grown at 1,000 plus meter altitude, picked by hand and roasted by hand in small batches. Where to get it? You can find Trace Puntas Coffee in two easy ways. First, you go to their website, www.tracepuntas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped to you immediately. They offer 12-ounce bags, whole bean, and ground. Also offering K-Cups now. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. Or you can visit Trace, or you find Trace Puntas Coffee fresh on Amazon. Go to Amazon, search for Trace Puntas, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S. The coffee will be the first thing you see. Even when you buy on Amazon, your coffee will be roasted fresh to order and shipped out right away. Enjoy the convenience of ordering on Amazon and get freshly roasted coffee shipped right to your doorstep. All orders enjoy free shipping in the United States from either the Trace Puntas website or Amazon. On the website, you can sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. That's your choice. 
When you sign up for a coffee subscription, you save 10% off every bag. But listeners of the BCJ podcast get an extra 10% off by using the code BEARCATS at checkout when buying a coffee subscription. This means you get a total of 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. With this code, you enter the code at checkout. So www.tracepuntas.com slash coffee. Enter BEARCATS. You get 20% off. Enter the code at checkout, and you'll be helping the site, and you'll be getting fresh gourmet coffee delivered free to your door straight from farms in Brazil. That's pretty good. My wife has been uh, sounds, my wife has been enjoying it. I hope, I hope our members are taking advantage of uh, this great opportunity. I, I would hope so as well. My wife has been uh, – I'm not a big coffee drinker, never have been, um, but my wife uh, has, has – Worked through about three quarters of the bag that they sent us, uh, and is very much happy with the Trace Puntas coffee. Um, let's get to Ohio University, Dave. Uh, it hasn't. It has. They they were the favorite to win the MAC East. I don't think they've had the start that they thought they would have. Clearly, no. It's it's been an interesting first couple games for them, and. I, I mean, I know we looked at this game as, as very difficult, and I still think it's going to be difficult. I don't, I don't think this is going to be a blowout one way or the other. But I think this is a situation where now that we're here, now that there's you know some games to go off of and some tape to go off of and we know a little bit about each team, this is a game going in now that I think Cincinnati has a, a very good chance to win. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, my or I'm sorry, Miami, Ohio University is one and one. They uh, opened the season at home against Howard, so their FCS opponent. And it was a it's kind of a weird game that Nathan Roark, who is, is supposed to be the one of, or if not the best quarterbacks in the MAC, started the game two for eight and then didn't play again. And it didn't seem like it was injury related. But then he comes back. They had a bye week after that week, and then he comes back in the UVA game this past Saturday and takes all the snaps. So I'm not sure what was going on there. But they ended up beating Howard 38-32, but it was a two-point game in the fourth quarter, and Howard and they were plus four in turnovers. So it was, it was very much back and forth with an FCS team. Miami – or I said it again, OU had – a kickoff return for a touchdown to go on top of being plus four in the turnover battle. And so it's just, I don't really know what to make of that. Cam Newton's younger brother is the quarterback for Howard. And he's obviously not the same type of player as Cam, or he probably wouldn't be at Howard, but he threw for 450 yards and ran for almost a hundred. So they, their defense clearly had issues. Um, you know, they came back after the bye week Lost to Virginia, 45-31. We're never really in the game. You know, we're down 21 nothing, pretty much right off the bat. Uh, Roark completed 50% of his passes. He did have a 70-yard touchdown run, and they run more of a speed option than like a read option that UC runs. But his run was out of a scramble situation, so it wasn't, a, you know, a, a regular play or anything. And their, their running backs outside of his 70-yard run had 
25 carries for 77 yards. So they, they did not run the ball well at all against Virginia. Uh, they do have a pretty solid wide receiver, Pappy or Poppy White. I'm not sure exactly how he pronounces his name. He's, he's had over 100 yards in both games so far this year. He's definitely the, the go-to guy. The rest of the receiving core, I think a couple of true freshmen are playing. So I think it's more of a trial by fire right now, trying to get up to speed with, with what they have. But again, defensively, Virginia's quarterback, 25 to 30. For three seventy nine and three touchdowns, their yeah, running back, their defense 19, is struggling. <laughs> yeah, running back nineteen carries, one hundred and seventy one yards, three touchdowns. Their wide receiver that nine catches, two hundred and forty seven yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, they're they've forced seven turnovers already this year. So you has and. Three of like with three fumbles against Virginia. Those are the only reasons they're one and one, and maybe the only reasons they're not getting blown out in both of these games. Because I mean, third down defense, Howard was twelve for twenty-one. Virginia was seven for eleven. So I mean, it sounds like their defensive backfield can't cover anybody. And I know from doing the preview, their front seven is replacing almost the entire group from last year, uh, especially their linebacking group, which I think was the, was the leading, you know, leading phase of that defense. But yeah, they're they're struggling big time defensively, and and while I definitely think, or I, I would like to think that they're probably the more more advanced offense that you see will have seen so far, you know, if they can't run the ball, which they haven't been able to do in either of their first two games, really, it's not really going to be that, it shouldn't be that difficult to game plan for a, a one wide receiver and a mobile quarterback. So, you know, if they're, if they can't stop UC, I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to score enough points to stay in the game. Yeah, I mean that offensively for them, I you know, I, the, the thing that Luke talked about um was that they had the ability when they got behind against Virginia to generate enough offense to kind of hang around and and not get completely blown out. Um that's where I think, you know, you're going to see the true test of this defense is can they maintain if they're able to to get a lead? Can they maintain that separation because they've got enough guy? You know, I mean, they they were one of you know had a, a really strong offense last year, and they returned everybody from that offense. So it's not you know they're experienced. They've been in a lot of situations. Um, they know they're facing statistically one of the better defenses in the country. Um, I think you're going to see OU be able to move the ball some. But like you said, you have to at this point think UC's defense is going to stop OU's offense more than than OU's defense stops Cincinnati's offense. Uh, Uh, Yeah, and and I – That seems logical at this point. And I do need to also say that they are – they're good on special teams. Their punter and kicker are both very good. Punter had a very good game. He's actually a – former UC walk-on, yes. uh, Michael Farkas. 
And then their kicker, I think his name is Louis Verazos or something along those lines. But they're both solid. So this could be a game where, you know, UCU special teams has been very good this year. You know, it could be one of those games where, you know, you might, you know, the special teams kind of trade punches and, and you have to put some serious drives together. And, and so far this year, no one's really been able to do that against UC. I mean, they've, they really haven't given up. I mean, the most legit touchdown drive they've given up is against Alabama A&M. And that was against backups. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think, I think they'll see some adversity in this game, but, you know, they saw adversity the first week against UCLA. Um, you know, they, I would say playing in a monsoon is, is pretty good adversity. You know, you're not, you don't have your full complement of plays and, and things like that. So, you know, I just kind of, I kind of look at it as if the offense continues to take the next steps and seeing what Ohio has struggled at, it kind of plays right into UC's hands. I mean, they haven't really been able to stop the run. They've let receivers get open, and they haven't done well with mobile quarterbacks. Fickle mentioned on his radio show last night, pretty good chance we don't see Jared Dokes again. I know they were hopeful. Um, you know, unless things change later in the week where he can get back out there. That's just one of those, it's such a difficult injury right in that groin hip area because you don't know. I mean, it, it's, it heals on its own time schedule. It's not. Well, and, and you don't, you don't know until you go full, full go. And it doesn't, and, it, and, and it, it's a hundred percent. Right. And then you can, if you think you're at a hundred percent and you try to go, and you just pull it again, or you could, it's just muscle injuries are, are very difficult. They're not like broken bones. I mean, they're almost, they're practically worse because you just, there's no way to tell when you're ready until, you know, you, until you try it. And, and I've talked to Dokes a couple of times. He's frustrated I and mean, he wants to be out there. Um, it's just a matter of having to get him 100% healthy. And, and you hope that that's sometime here soon, but it doesn't look like, it's going to be this week. Um, he wasn't at practice on Tuesday. Like I said, Fickle mentioned on his radio show last night uh, that they probably weren't going to have him. Uh, Taylor Boos was back at practice uh, on Tuesday. Um, we'll see if he's he's active. He was inactive um, against Alabama A&M. But you still look at that, that running back room and you feel pretty good about Warren, McClellan, and Thomas You know, as things stand. Um, prediction. What do you got? Uh, it's something like thirty-eight twenty. I was thinking. I, think. I, I was thinking forty-two twenty-four twenty-eight yeah, somewhere. I mean, forty-two twenty-four, forty-two twenty-eight. I think Ohio. You will be able to move the ball some on this defense. But but as you mentioned, the hardest part that, to crack on this defense is they're averaging you're, you're getting three yards of play. So you're going to have to be methodical and, and move the ball down the field. They have not been prone to giving up, obviously, outside of the, the, the 76-yard touchdown. They have not been prone to the big play. 
Uh, well, that is... and I, I do think, too, though, the offenses they have played have not really tried to I mean, Miami, Miami, Miami the, tried to attack. They just only completed well, three passes deep to Gardner. They tried, like, yeah, nine I mean, times. But, I mean, like, to to really – I know. You know what I mean. I mean, that was – I think this offense would have the more of the capability to try to spread them out and try to find the, the quick throws and – and the missed tackles or the, you know, or the mismatches in the secondary, if you can get somebody up. And so I think this will be the first time I think where all of this, you know, all of the recipe, so to speak, is right for someone to at least pressure the defense. And, and so we can really kind of see what they have. I think uh, my, my guy to watch, uh, their, their best guy's a slot guy, right? Yeah, he's like five, Pappy is five nine, one sixty five, one seventy five in that range. This could be a hell of a game for Cam Jeffries. Yeah, I mean, he's played the guy for sure. He knows him. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny. I was trying to look up stats against his stats against Bowling Green, just because of Cam yeah. and and Mickens. Coach Mickens. Yeah. Last year, he didn't play in about the middle four or five games of the season, and that's when they played Bowling Green. And then I couldn't – their website was acting weird. I couldn't get to the the season before. And then he was pretty much a running back early in 2015. So he didn't – and that was the year Bowling Green uh, was really good. Had Matt Johnson at quarterback. They destroyed OU. Um, but he was, I know he wasn't the leading receiver in the game against Bowling Green two years ago. Right. Um, so he didn't play against them last year. So I was kind of trying to find that out to see if, you know, what the, what Bowling Green did against, against him. Uh, I'm going to go 42, 24, I think is my, my prediction. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. We're, we're pretty much the exact same, just four points yeah. off lower. Let's talk about the American Athletic Conference, Dave. Uh, what are your uh, your takeaways as we are one game away from conference play? Uh, obviously, UCF is pretty much what we expected. Um, Temple, maybe not as good as you thought, uh, but they had a big win um, this week, this past weekend, uh, coming off the mat. And, and getting a P5 scalp. Um, what are you overall seeing from the American as we're, you know, four weeks uh, ahead of the four weeks in? I th- It's been a weird start because they've done very well overall in what is for them their marquee game. Uh, you know, they're, they're punching above their weight class, so to speak, games. But then there's been some just, Awful, awful losses. So, you know, they're obviously they're trying to hype up the UC beating UCLA and USF beating Georgia Tech and Illinois and Houston beating Arizona. But then you've also got Temple losing to Villanova and Buffalo. You have East Carolina losing to North Carolina A&T. UConn might be the worst team in college football. <laughs> uh, 
They got absolutely destroyed by UCF and Boise State, which is, I mean, okay. But then they were in a one-possession final play of the game situation against Rhode Island last week. And just a little a little uh, sneak preview for next week's podcast. UConn is giving up 9.52 yards per play. That seems bad. It's uh, They're giving up almost a first down. <laughs> every play. Every play. <laughs> like, I was, they're 130th in stop rate at whatever percentage, and the 129th team is 11% better than them. They're not good at football. I, no, I think they're giving up five or six points per possession. Oof. So there's kind of your little preview. I mean, I think people were, a lot of people were talking about Tulane as the sleeper team. They have not looked good. Um, so SMU and North Texas appears to be much better than I had even thought they were. But in the opener, they were down 33 to nothing and did not have a first down in the whole first half. So, and they've had a hard schedule. They lost to TCU at home, and then they lost last week at Michigan. So, they, they've definitely had a, a rough go of it. But, I mean, considering who UC is playing, I would put UCF as the number one team in the league, then Memphis, and then Houston. So, to not have to play two of those three this year yeah. is, is a big – and Houston's offense is very explosive, but their defense is – trash they just gave up 60 something to texas tech last week that's rough um, having the one of the two best players in the nation on your defense and your defense stinks yeah well because i mean it's terrible for ed Oliver because i saw a clip they literally triple teamed him the, he was head up over the center and both guards blocked him and so you're committing three guys to one player and they and your other Oh, 10 guys can't get a stop. That's not good. So That's a bad ratio. No. So when you look at who UC's playing coming up here, I mean, they go after OU, we go at UConn, Tulane at home. I mean, I would like to think those are two wins. So if you beat OU, you're six and zero. That would be yeah, nice. Then you go at at Temple, which I still, I think they're going to kind of catch their footing. I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, their quarterback Frank Newtild was injured, I think, in the Buffalo game and didn't play. He wasn't good enough to go uh, against Maryland, which now creates an interesting situation because they waxed Maryland. So I still think they're kind of going to catch their footing a little bit. So I'm not sure I want to change my prediction for that game. But then you're at SMU. I don't see any reason why if things continue the way they, they're going, they can't win that game where originally I had kind of penciled that in for a loss. I thought they'd be better than they were. And I kind of look at the Navy South Florida back-to-back situation as 
I think they can get one of those. Yeah. Where maybe I didn't I didn't think that originally. So I'm kind of in the eight and four range now. I'm I'm not going to get all crazy like some people and say that they should be undefeated when they go play UCF or whatever like that. But I mean, if if they if they found a way to start six and six six and zero, you know, and then you know you would hope that you could do better than two wins out of your last six. But we still have to kind of remember what what we are as a team and and what our expectations were coming in, and those can obviously change, and I think they they should change. But I still think, you know, even if you say a couple more wins, that would be quite a quite a jump from what we saw last year and kind of what we thought going into this season if they did do something like get to 8-4. and four. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's uh, switch gears again. And basketball, the American Conference, announced their conference schedule. Uh, I, I, I think we should see, hopefully, a, a full schedule release from UC by the end of the week. Uh, they're still ironing something out, a few things out on one of their non-conference games. Um, once that's complete, then they'll release the full schedule. Um, interesting, for me at least, they, they have the, the four teams that they play – only once you have Tulane and USF on the uh, at home and then ECU and Temple on the road three of those games are out of the way by January 15th yeah they're in the three of those they're in their first five games they uh they did you see a solid I think with the early portion of the conference schedule um, allowing them, you know, to kind of maybe find their footing in conference play. Hiccups, sorry. Um, and, and you know, you go Tulane at home on the second, ECU away on the fifth, and then Tulsa uh, on the road on the 10th, USF on the 15th at home, and then you go to Wichita State on the 19th, or I, I forgot UConn on the 12th at home. Um, and then USF on the 15th. Then, then USF. And then Wichita State on the 19th on the road. Uh, I, the UConn game will be tough. Uh, Tulsa at their place is generally not fun. Um, I love, they got a lot of, uh, they've got a lot of night Saturday games for their bigger games. You, know, you got, mm-hmm. I, I really like how that plays out. Uh, I think fifth third arena will be in very good form by that point in time. And then you have two CBS games um, with Houston and yeah, Wichita but, state. I believe they're the only, they're the only team, that, which is, I think that's a, it definitely seems like a new one. For the league, they usually only have gotten that very last yeah. game of the year on CBS. So, I mean, I did the breakdown on the on the Twitter today, but I mean, and not this isn't even counting the the regu- the uh, non conference portion of the schedule. But they've got the two CBS, three ESPN, and then I think there's five either ESPN, ESPN or ESPN two slash ESPN two games. So, I mean, there's. That's 10 games 
out of the 18 conference games that are that are on the the network, the three main stations that people that watch college basketball are going to be watching. And then so, I two, mean, they definitely... two more that are either ESPN2 or ESPNU. If those are ESPN2 games, right. you could end up with 12 yeah, of your 18 right. conference games on CBS, ESPN, or ESPN2. Right. Five on CBS Sports Network, whatever. One on ESPN News. Um, I like how it well, sets I mean, up. The, I like how it sets up. The CBS Sports Network thing always kind of makes me laugh because it's like, obviously fans would rather be on ESPN or whatever, but you think CBS Sports Network is going to pay a bunch of money to just get ECU and USF games? Right. They're like, going to like, want no, some UC wanna, games. We want to air the teams that people are actually watching. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's not like they're going to go, oh, yeah, here's a couple million bucks. Just give us all your trash. Here's a couple million bucks, and you get all of the games from USF, Tulane, ECU, Tulsa, <laughs> yeah. and we'll throw you a bone and give you two Temple games. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's like, of course they're going to get some games on there. They don't, they got to get some return on there. <laughs> right. Money. But all the big games are going to be on major networks. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then 11 Warriors released, and this is kind of what we've been hearing, and it makes sense. Um, the Ohio State game will be at 6 o'clock on ESPN2 on uh, November 7th. The reason for that being um, ESPN has a NBA deal on Wednesday nights, so there'll be NBA games on ESPN and then on ESPN two, you're in the heart of Mac football can. season. There's Maction. So the Mac is in the eight o'clock time slot on ESPN two. If they want to, well, that was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That was in the American release as well. Oh, it was. Okay. They, on like when you clicked on the actual article, they had some, they highlighted some of the premier non-conference games, and that was in there. Uh, the game against George Mason on the Friday of Thanksgiving is a 7 o'clock game on CBS Sportsnet. They had the UCLA game at 9 o'clock on ESPN2. They had the Xavier game. They did not have the Mississippi State game, and when I went to Mississippi State's website, they don't have any times or channels for some of their games still either so i don't know if that's one that's that's still getting worked out on as far as network goes um because that's like the 15th so there might there's no college games i think that's that like two-week period between conference championships and when bowl games start so i'm not sure exactly what they're what they're trying to hash out there um for that time and channel slot Right. I really want to. God. I wish that was like one day later in Destin. If that was a Saturday, Sunday event. I'd be there. But that's so difficult to like. I would basically have to leave Thanksgiving from my family and drive to Destin throughout the night. Well, you don't you don't want to you don't want to miss the ECU football game on the Friday after Thanksgiving. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I've got, I've got, I've got a uh, a host of Canadian friends in Destin now. Remember? Can't you fly? Can't you fly like Allegiant for like fifty bucks down to Sarasota or something and rent a car? Or... Maybe. 
I don't know. They fly from Cincinnati down there every day now because my brother lives down there. So I look at flights all the time, and Allegiance an everyday carrier down to Florida now. Hmm. So you could catch a. I mean, it's only one flight a day, so I don't know what time the flight right. on Friday is. But you could theoretically fly down Friday and come back Sunday. That's a night game, right? Uh, the basketball game. George Mason. Yeah, seven o'clock. That's so tempting. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to look into that. Maybe you can convince your family to do Thanksgiving in Florida. No, that's not going to happen. But I could leave on Friday morning <laughs> potentially, and be down yeah, there. In so. Time. But yeah, so I mean, we're really kind of only waiting for the Mississippi State time and channel and the bye games. I mean, we we know everything else. Yeah. So, Interesting that the UCLA games on CBS Sports Network. No, it's on ESPN. Or ESPN two. UNLV the is U- on CBS. The Sports UNLV Network. game is. Yeah. Well, I look at that as that's kind of the. Uh, same thing with like Xavier. I imagine when they come back next year, because that's the Mountain West conference. Yeah, all their games are, are. So I'm thinking that that's like the Fox situation where they out get to in pick. Vegas, it's yeah. on their on their channel, and when it comes back here, it'll be on ESPN. You're right. Something. You're right. Now I'm trying to figure. That's out a how. that's a that's a nice little trip too. Catch an early flight to Vegas. Thursday, go to the game. Friday, Saturday, come back on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> we'll have to figure those That's out. It's kind of a weird one, though. A Thursday, 3 o'clock local time game? Because that's, that's on December 6th. No. UNLV is so, December 1st. December 1st? Okay. Yeah, UNLV's, UNLV's December 1st, Xavier's December 8th. There's a game in between there, a home game against a team from... Someone. Close. Very Somewhere. close. Yeah. A team from very well, that's close. Why I mean, either way, 1st or 6th, it seems weird that... Is the 1st a Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, December 1st. Oh, okay. That's uh, For some reason, I was thinking it was the 3rd. So you, then that's even better. Go to Vegas. Head out Friday. Thursday, Thursday night. Friday, Saturday, come back Sunday. I might actually look into that one. I got to figure out how to get to Destin. Because that'll be, that'll be college basketball, non-conference will be in full swing. That's championship week for football, so you can get out there and and legally wager on some like Big Ten championship, SEC championship. Yeah, and that's a that's a six p.m. kickoff or a six p.m. tip off. Eastern time, so right. you'll be done by eight. Don't most of those big games start that night, or do they play them during the day? Kind of all through the day, but I mean, you'll you'll be yeah. So I mean, you'll you'll still be able to have funny. You'll have stuff to you have action. Still wager on it. The Big Ten games always at night. The ACC game is usually at night. Pac twelve games usually the Friday, so you have that game to play. That'd be, that's a good. That's a good little time to go. All right. All right. Well, anything might else? Have, might have to check that out. Yeah, it's worth looking into. It's worth looking into. I'm gonna check out Allegiant after we get done with this podcast. 
see if I can find my way to Niceville. Yeah. For Friday and Saturday. November 23rd and 24th. Because I, was, I, I wasn't thinking the Allegiant thing. I was thinking, like, driving where I'd have to, like, literally get done with, with Thanksgiving with the family, get in the car, and just head that way. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounds awful. Drive through the night. Especially nah. the day, especially the day after Thanksgiving, right? And coming back the week, driving back the weekend of Thanksgiving right. with everybody else driving on the road no, on sun, thank you. Sunday of Thanksgiving. That would just be terrible. No thanks. I would have to miss the ECU football game. Is that Senior Day? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I don't know what I'm going to do. Decisions. Decisions. <sighs> Decisions, decisions. All right, you got anything else? I don't think so. I think weather's looking good for Saturday. Should have a. I think we'll have a, a bigger crowd than we had last week. Um, the tailgate team is back. We'll be All in right. full swing breakfast tailgate on the on the top of campus green. That's, so that should be uh, there. We'll, we'll be ready about, to roll. Should be there about, early. Should be there about nine thirty or so. Pencil me in. Sounds oh, good. 2008 reunion. Remember that? Oh, yeah, that too. That's that's going to be cool. Orange Bowl team reunion. Uh, did you did you hear when they introduced Tony Pike? They introduced him as a legend <laughs> prior to the game. <laughs> I mean, he did throw a game leading touchdown in the Orange Bowl to Marty Gilliard. He did. They they were introducing. We didn't score again. <laughs> they, but... they were introducing the the radio team. And they said, your sideline reporter, the legend, Tony Pike. Nice. And Maybe. I, I was standing next to him, and he looked at me like, hmm, I got an upgrade. <laughs> do, you, do you think since they play tomorrow night that we could get Tyrod Taylor to come to the game Saturday? I don't think Tony would like that. No? <laughs> I don't think Tony would like that. But, all right, that's going to wrap it up. Let me know what you think. Should I Should I go to Niceville? For the Emerald Coast Classic, or should I stay home for Senior Day for the football team? I, I think there'd be some guys on the football team that'd be mad at me if I wasn't there. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Let me know what you think. But we'll see you next time, Bearcats. Noon kickoff, Ohio University Nippert Stadium, and then next week on the road, three thirty at the Rent to take on UConn to open American Athletic Conference play. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next week. It's the BCJ Podcast, brought to you by Trace Puntas Coffee on BearcatJournal.com.